welcome to everyone. Beautiful to see you, folks who are here practicing in person and folks who are online. I really, really enjoy seeing your faces every time. So, so glad to see you. And uh, we are going to, this being Tuesday, we are going to uh, go ahead and begin with a guided meditation for about half an hour or so. And then I'll uh, offer a, a Dhamma talk. And uh, then I will move directly into the question and answer period. And at that point, I'll go ahead and turn off the recording. Also, you should know that the recording, the way we do the recording is that only the speaker's channel is being recorded. So everybody else can feel confident that you don't need to be concerned about that part of it. Sí, bienvenidas a ustedes que están aquí esperando interpretación en español o quizás utilizando los subtítulos en español. Muy bienvenidos a todos. Y eh, tal como siempre hacemos los martes, eh, voy a ofrecer media hora más o menos de meditación guiada y después una plática, una charla. Y después de eso, entonces apagaré la grabación y habrá tiempo para preguntas y reflexiones, ¿ok? Y tan pronto que llega Claudia, entonces voy a prender el canal de interpretación, ¿ok? Bueno. All right, friends. So let's uh, go ahead and start to settle into our meditation posture. I think this evening I'd like to try a, an abbreviated version of the six sense basis. And those six are seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, touching, and thinking or cognizing. And uh, we are not going to go through all six. But we'll go through a few of them. So really relaxing the belly and allowing the body to settle right here in this place. Ahorita voy a abrir el canal de interpretación. Feeling the natural stability of the body. And as best you can, allowing the bones of the spine to come into alignment, leaving plenty of room for the breath to breathe the body naturally.
audio original de la interpretación no está activado. Un segundito, Patricia, gracias. Creo que... Sí, ahora sí. Ahora sí pueden elegir español, si desean. So returning to... Attention to the breath and the body. And turning the attention to the sensation of touch in the hands. Just gently receiving any sensation. Moment by moment. Allowing thoughts and all other sensations to just recede into the background and staying curious about the sensations of touch in the hands.
Noticing that there are sensations of touch present in each moment. And perhaps also aware of whether those sensations are pleasant or unpleasant, or perhaps neutral. Now a shift in the attention, moving to become aware of the sensations of sound, sensations of hearing. No need to strain to become aware of them. Just allowing the sensations of hearing to arise and being present for that.
staying curious about the sensations of sound, of hearing, and allowing all the other sensations and thoughts to stay in the background. Noticing that you cannot hold on to a single sound. Sound rises and ceases. Even a sound that seems to go on for a while has its variations.
And now making one more shift. Return the attention to mental activity. Thoughts. As mere sensations of the awareness. Observing thoughts as mere sensations, just like a sound or touch.
Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and transition to the Dhamma talk. Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma samputasa Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma samputasa Namo tassa bhagavato Ardato Samma Samputasa Bhutang Tamang Sankhang Namasami Much of what we do in our lives is a way to try to find meaning, to try to establish some sort of understanding of what it means to be a human being. In fact, perhaps all religion is a way of trying to do that at a large scale. And it's not just religion, right? It's also what we do for work or what we call ourselves or any number of other different ways that we search for the meaning of our lives or we assert what we believe to be the meaning of our lives. So this process of asserting meaning or finding meaning or looking for meaning so much of what we do and if we look to the Dhamma and we try to determine what it is that the Dhamma would say the meaning of life is. Uh, you know, you might get quite a few different answers from different people. In fact, I can remember when I was at Aloka Vihara at the, uh, the nuns monastery there in Northern California, where I lived before I was here in Alexandria, Virginia, we would have these kind of conversations crop up, you know. <laughs> What is the meaning of life? And, uh, and sure enough, everybody had a different answer. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about the search. I want to talk a little bit about the, the looking, the seeking. Mm. 
In part because that's why in Buddhism we call it a path. We call it a path. But the irony of that path is that it's not a path from point A to point B. It's a little different than that. And it's a very broad path. It's a path that has been interpreted across centuries, across continents, across millions of people's individual lives. But that search itself, that search itself is meaningful. I think it was Ryokan, I quoted him recently, maybe last month, Ryokan was a beloved uh, poet, scamp, troublemaker, hermit in Japan, 17th century Japan, who said, who who, toward the end of his life went on a very long pilgrimage that he wrote about. And um, he said something like, Every step is the journey. Every step is a journey. Somebody said, "Every step is a journey, and the journey itself is home." And the journey itself is home. So I want to talk a little bit about the seeking, and I, I'm going to go a little bit further back than Ryokan to give you an example about this because I think there's some very beautiful old story about this from China. So going back from from uh, to the, the Chan tradition. And, um, and there's a story about uh, a person named Wei Neng. Wei Neng. That is his name in Chinese. And, uh, or as best I can pronounce Chinese, usually. <laughs> Little disclaimer there. And uh, he, he, uh, had an experience where he was interested in practice. So he went to the monastery. He, he'd grown up very poor, but he heard something in the street. He heard a teaching, a sutta, and he was moved by that. And so he went to the monastery because he wanted to practice. And because he had, uh, well, for many reasons, but in part because he grew up poor and illiterate, he was put in the kitchen. He was given this very heavy duty task of working in the kitchen in this very simple kind of labor, heavy labor involving cleaning the rice for at a monastery with a couple hundred or so monastics, monks. And uh, and the, the abbot of the monastery had an encounter with him before putting him in the kitchen so he was aware of this person's presence, but it wasn't like he was an esteemed member of the monastic order. He was really somebody relatively new and somebody who was pretty well out of sight. And uh, But the abbot decided that it was time for him to retire. And so uh, he decided that he was going to decide his successor through a poetry contest. 
Now, if you think about that for even a minute, you have to say, wow. <laughs> think about like, you know, oh, I don't know, the next Pope being decided by a poetry contest <laughs> or the CEO of Coca-Cola or, <laughs> you know, these kinds of things. That, but nonetheless, that was what he felt was appropriate. He didn't want something that was going to be based on seniority or something that was going to be based on what people thought the next person, who the people thought should, the next person should be, or some kind of, you know, memorization of a teaching. But he wanted to see this unique creative expression in the form of a poem. So basically various things happened and uh, Wei Nung came up with a beautiful poem beautiful poem that expresses the emptiness of all things. And, but because he was somebody who was not very well uh, known in the community or respected in the community, then the, uh, the abbot invited him to his quarters in the evening, in the middle of the night, and said, okay, you won the contest. You, get, you are, have expressed true wisdom here much more so than the head, monast the head monk, the other person who had kind of taken a, a stab at it, taken a try at it. And, uh, and so you're going to become the successor. And so I'm giving you my robe and my bowl, and that's a way that people will know that was a traditional way. This outer robe is what he gave him. Um, and, uh, and that's a traditional way that people would know that you are my successor. But because they're going to be upset about this, then you should go for a long walk, like about a three-year walk. And so he sends him away in the middle of the night with the robe and the bowl and the succession, basically. And, uh, and so the part that happened next is, part of the, is the most interesting part. So what happened next was that many of his fellow monks were upset about this as the abbot expected, uh, so much so that they set out in a posse, they set out in a big group to go chase after him and, uh, and track him down and get the bowl and the robe back because they thought maybe something you know, fishy had happened or that he'd stolen the robe and the bowl or that maybe, you know, there was some confusion or something had gone wrong. And so they went to go track him down. A big, a large number of monastics, more than a hundred, it said, were set out in, in search of him. And, uh, and so Wei Nung uh, was aware, he wasn't aware that this had happened, but what happened was that he was up in the mountains and then this, he's a, he sees in the distance approaching one of his Dharma brothers, a monk named Wei Ming. Wei Ming. Sorry that the names are so familiar, so similar, <laughs> but that's the history of the story. And Wei Ming, it makes sense that he would have been the first person to catch up with him because he was a veteran. He had actually been in the Chinese military before he, he was a monk. So he knew how to track people. So he was the first person to actually track down Wei Nong. And Wei Nong saw him coming 
And, um, and so he realizes, you know, that something is wrong, that Wei Ming wouldn't be, you know, chasing him down here in the forest uh, unless there was something wrong. And so he waits for him to approach. And as he's approaching, Wei, Ming, Wei Neng, the, the one who has been named the successor, Wei Neng sets down the robe on a rock, on the stone. And he says, here, you can have it. It wouldn't be right to fight over this thing. Wow, pretty interesting, right? Pretty impressive teaching right off the bat. Because he's basically saying that it's not the robe that makes me the successor, right? It's not the clothes that determine whether or not I was the one that was chosen. It's the other way, right? The robe was given to him because he was chosen, right? And I think that it was, in a way also, he's able to do that. He knows that very clearly from his own personal experience, right? He'd been somebody who was so poor that he sold sticks in the marketplace instead of going to school. That's why he was illiterate because his father died when he was young and his mother didn't have a way to support them. So he knew actually that his worth wasn't based on that, on whether he was selling sticks in the marketplace or whether he had a fancy robe or whether he was working in the monastery kitchen. Right? He knew all that. So he gives him this teaching. He sets down the robe and he says, here, you can take it. And as the legend goes, Wei Ming, the, the, uh, his Dharma brother who tracked him down, Wei Ming isn't able to pick it up. It was immovable like a mountain, <laughs> is what it said in the old text. Now, do we take that to mean some kind of miracle or do we take that to mean just that he had a moment of conscience and decided, oh, you know, this would not be a good idea? We don't know. We don't know. But certainly, it is a moment in which Wei Ming stops and thinks about it. Because the next thing that he says to Wei Neng is, he says, I didn't come to take the robe. Please give me a teaching. I came for a teaching. Give me a teaching. So it's interesting because he has a change of heart, right? He came all the way in search of him, not for a teaching. That wasn't what actually motivated him. If it was that, he would have waited, right, until Wei Nung got to wherever he was going, and then he would visit him at whatever new monastery he was at. That's the proper way to do it. But no, that wasn't actually what initially motivated him. But, but he stopped and he thought about it for a moment. I thought about it for a moment. And it makes sense, right? Because at that moment, what he is also realizing is that he's face-to-face -face with this person. He's face-to-face -face with his Dharma brother. And that something has happened. He does have the robe and the bowl. Something has happened between both of their teacher. So Hongren was the name, the abbot's name. And by, and by being here, if he, were to, if he were to steal the robe, let's say, not only is he breaking the first precept of not stealing, or the second precept, rather, 
of not stealing, not taking what's not given. That's one of the most fundamental precepts of, in all of Buddhism, I would say. But also he would be, in a sense, challenging his own teacher. Right? He's challenging his own teacher. So part of what was motivating him, perhaps, was envy. Right? Part of what was motivating him to track down Wei Nung was envy, because he thought that, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Why would he be the successor? Right? And even asking him for a teaching is a little, it could be a, a little bit of a challenge. Like, prove to me that you are worthy, right? But in those moments of envy, so envy is, is, a, is a very uh, common phenomena, something that happens a lot. It's actually, I think, sometimes very lauded, very popular in our society these days. And, uh, and it's not always labeled as that, as envy, even though that's what's happening sometimes. And... Uh, Uh, envy is really a very painful state. It's a state actually of saying what has happened shouldn't have happened, right? It should have gone to me or it should have gone to somebody more worthy. So what is that but a denial of what actually has happened, right? What has happened has happened. So it's a very, it's a very, uh, you could say it's a response that doesn't begin with an acceptance and a and a response to the current state of things. Because even if it should have been different, it already has occurred. And so now you are working with a different reality. You're starting from a different reality. So you have to find a skillful response to that. And so I think that Wei Ming, the Dharma brother, did eventually find a skillful response to that. And so I'm going to read you a little bit of how this goes down between the two Dharma brothers, because I think it's very, very uh, important. So, so it's mentioned also in the story, interestingly, that when Wei Ming asked for the teaching, that he's feeling fear, that there's something that he's feeling fearful about. And I think, again, that perhaps it was that emotion that brought up something for him, that made him pause. So that's actually a skillful response, okay, looking at it from, from, the other, from another angle, to give him some credit, we could say, if he was stopped by the fear and he said, okay, wait, wait, you don't have to rethink this, then that might be a good thing. That would be his actually being present for what's going on for him and sort of checking it out. Like, oh, okay, why am I feeling like that? So he has this, he asked this question, I've come for the teaching, please instruct me. Because he knows that he can't just steal the robe or steal the bow back from him, even if 
somehow something went wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. And he noted, he realizes that in that moment, Wei Ming does. Yeah. So right now, Wei Ming is becoming like the hero of the story, even though <laughs> he is the pursuer, even though he was uh, perhaps had the intention to be the bad guy. But then Wei Nung responds to him, and he gives this very, very beautiful, beautiful teaching. He says, not thinking good, not thinking bad, right at this very moment, what is your original face? Not thinking good, not thinking evil, right at this moment, what is your original face? face or it's also sometimes called your face before your parents were born so this teaching has three parts to it so this first part not thinking good not thinking bad what does that mean it means setting aside your judgments setting aside whatever preconceived idea you have about what it is that's going on here not thinking good, not thinking bad about yourself, about me, about the, the robe, the bowl, the succession that happened. Any of it, all of it. Not thinking good, not thinking bad. And then the second part of the pointer, right at this moment. Not something you learned from a book with a writing of something that somebody said a thousand years ago. Not the idea that you had when you left the monastery about your poem that didn't win the contest. Not what you think should have happened or will happen, but right at this moment, being present. Right? So that's the second part of the pointer. And then this last part, this last part which is usually the one that stumps people, <laughs> right? What is your original face or your face before your parents were born? What is your original face? So I will give you a hint here. Let me give you a hint. The, the way to relate to this question is that anything what you were so it's not a who that you were but a what you were before your parents were born means means something like letting go of all of your identity of this lifetime then what are you right because maybe your identity starts with being born to your parents and then this happened, and then that happened, and you received this name, and that happened in this part of the world or that part of the world. And then you lived here, or you lived there, or you married so-and-so, or you had that child, or you didn't do that, or you did do that, or you did well in school, or you didn't do well in school. Hmm? <laughs> so there's that whole narrative. And the question asks you to leap back before that whole narrative and investigate what are you 
So the reason I'm bringing this story up is because to tie it back into the making of meaning, the pointer that Wei Nung gave to his brother Wei Ming is that the meaning of your life, the meaning that you are looking for, is not in any of those things. It is not in the names of your parents. It is not in your own name. It is not in the city you were born in. None of those things really define the meaning of your life. This is why the Buddha said anybody from any caste, from any social system, from any right, kind of work, from any part of the world, anybody who would come and wanted to practice with him, they could. To tell a personal story about this, I, um, at one point, I was, I forget, I think I, I had had my passport stolen, and I needed to get a new passport. And in order to get a new passport, the easiest way, the easiest document to present to them was my birth certificate, because I was born in the United States, uh, as the story goes. I was born in Miami Beach to my parents, Judy who is from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Gabriel, who is from Bogota, Colombia. And I was born at St. Francis Hospital. And uh, so I went to the state of Florida and asked for a copy of my birth certificate because I didn't even have a copy. You know, I had gotten my passport as a child and just continued to renew it. And then when it was stolen in San Francisco, it was stolen and as part of a move that was happening, I had to go and, and uh, and even get a new birth certificate to prove that I could get my passport. And when I did that, the state of Florida said to me, oh, you know, your birth was not actually even registered with us until six years later. There's a special little notation on my birth certificate that says, delayed reporting, <laughs> six years. So did it really happen? And did it really happen at St. Francis Hospital? And did it really happen to my parents, the people who I relate to as my parents? I don't know. I'm not sure that the state of Florida would say that they know. Right? They gave me this document with a little disclaimer at the bottom. So none of that could possibly be the meaning of my life. None of that. Not the name, not the family, not the place. Not the day or the year. Not my astrological sign. <laughs> none of those things. But there is something that can be discerned. Otherwise, there's no point in asking the question. Okay? Otherwise, there's no point in, in Wei Nung even asking him the question. There is something that can be discerned.
And the reason that that's true, and I won't say what it is that can be discerned because I'm going to let you all sort of chew on that for a bit. Um, that's going to be our, uh, our colon question for the evening. But I want to say the reason that something can be discerned is because, as I always say, you live in the midst of reality. You know, I hear that there are certain multi-billionaires that, that believe that we're all a simulation. We were talking about this actually yesterday on the train, some friends of mine. And I think that that's really sad that anybody could think that all of life is a simulation. Because what that means is that dehumanizes everything. That dehumanizes everyone and all of life. It makes it all meaningless and therefore something which can be profoundly disrespected. Because if there is anything that human history has taught us, it's that people who dehumanize others are willing to do really horrible things. So I would propose that we're not living in a simulation, that there is an energetic and material world, that there is a set of principles of reality that we are part of, that we are actually expressing, that we couldn't possibly escape. And in there is where you might have a look for the meaning. Not in the folds of my robe, you could have my robe too. Not in those books on the shelves. Not on some peak of some mountain in the Himalayas. Right here. Right here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.